Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling soon-to-be on summer break teachers. We've got one. One guy is almost there. By the time you hear the show, he'll be on summer break, but it doesn't count because we're recording it now. Anyway, I'm Don Shanahan. The teacher is still stuck in school. And I'm Freebird Willie Johnson. I am free. I am, I am on summer vacation, so suck on that. Oh, I, I can smell your butane lighter swinging in the air as we speak. That's amazing. Folks, we're damn glad to have you. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. But wait, we actually agree on a movie. This week, we're talking about Emma Stone's brand new vehicle, Cruella playing on Disney Plus and on whatever they call their premium service. It is recommended by, I guess me kind of said, let's bring this to the table. You saw the movie after me and said, let's do it. Our format is this. The recommended lover, I guess that gets to be me for goes first. They get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater, but not a hater this time. The agreeing second party follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth because Will (laughs) will burn this movie down in a good way. After that, we open up for 15 minutes of shared discussion where the hissy fit really gets chippy. But again, it's a rare occurrence, but we kind of built this up with a little bit of Emma Stone and La La Land. We built this up with a little bit of villain villain origin story with Joker. So we got a double love edition of Cruella. Folks, we hope you got your judge's scorecard because everyone wins. Folks, let's go. Welcome to Cinephile Hissy Fit. Will, how are you doing today? You lucky son of a bitch who's on summer break. <laughs> yes, I am basically watching like three movies a day at this point because oh, I have nothing to do. Living the dream. Until summer school. I'm going to be teaching summer oh, school. Oh, they so got you. I got, like, I got like two weeks. I got like two weeks off. So I am making up for as much as possible. I'm going to the movie theaters to see movies. I'm renting movies. I'm using every streaming service you can imagine. Um, I am just... Um, parking my ass and sleeping and inhaling movies. So, uh, I haven't fed the kids in about five days, but whatever. You know, no they, they'll, they'll scrounge, they'll find <laughs> stuff. But man, figure it out. man yeah, figure it out. you are a lucky fucker. Um, I love my job and I'm doing great with it. I got two more days. It's like school picnic day and then kind of school trip day. So not anything really instructional or difficult like that. But as the tech guy, there's always something for me to kind of chase and do. We've got graduations and celebrations and streaming audio and streaming video and stuff there's always something for me to do so i'm close i can smell the finish lines we'll see how this goes all right for cruella i'll kind of open this up where i can here and get the five minutes going we good all right absolutely five minutes let's do it let's do it okay folks so with cruella what i love is a the thing that kind of sucked me in or kind of said "Ooh, that's kind of the movie or the core right there is emma thompson's evil baroness character kind of says at one point when she meets the Cruella guys of our main character, she says she describes that woman as gorgeous and vicious, which she calls kind of her favorite combination of character traits. And I love that line. And I love that pairing of words and adjectives as kind of a fitting description for this movie and kind of the turbulentness of it, because there's stuff in Cruella that is gorgeous. And there's stuff that's vicious, yet we still got a Disney little label kind of slapped onto the bottle. And the fun part is where one, where gorgeous kind of informs vicious and when vicious kind of informs gorgeous, where we get this weird little melding 
of style and edge that make for a really fun time. And I didn't think Disney kind of had the the courage to kind of go here. I won't say full balls because this isn't a hard R movie in any way. The language is low. The sex and violence is not really there. But the adult themes are there enough to kind of scare away the little kids and make this PG-13. And I know Will and I were both really worried here going in that this is going to be Joker Jr. And I'm happy to to come out of this movie and go, you know what? That was just good, stylish, little seedy little fun. And clean enough, you can still bring the big kids to. Fun enough, I think adults would get a good time out of it. And from a filmmaking level, we get gorgeous and vicious, which is a which is a blast. I got to give massive props to our costume designer, Jenny Beaven. She is a two-time Academy Award-winning costume designer. She did Mad Max Fury Road in A Room with a View. So she's done the costume stuff. She's done the wild stuff. This movie, in a weird way, smashes both together. Uh, makeup is fantastic. Cinematographer Nicholas uh, Karakistanis does a nice job kind of following I, Tanya director uh, Craig Gillespie into this thing. So, And the thing that kind of makes this movie, what kind of stirs the drink, for me, is the other Emma. Emma Thompson makes this movie for me. You, I don't want to say the whole, you know, uh, Greek saying of the heroes is only as good as his villain because this is villain to villain. If this was wrestling, this would be a heel versus heel fight. And those are hard to do because you don't get great cheering crowds. But Emma Thompson is evil enough to be worse than what the Cruella de Vil we all think of from puppy movies and animated things. And to be able to take that title character and have someone topper in evilness is a really good slide of really good slight and i want to say slight of hand but a really good sly way of kind of adding some dimension to this movie and i had a blast just watching emma thompson fuck with people and and really put people down i know we're not supposed to root for the bad guy but i'll take the razor moan say hello to the bad guy stuff and have a good time and I think if any any actress less than Emma Thompson is in this role, they get run over by, you know, the, the plucky young stardom that is Emma Stone. And Emma Stone gets she flicks the switch when she needs to to kind of let the style make her look evil and let some moves kind of turn her on a dime. It's not a it's not a Joaquin Phoenix performance of complete transformation and crazy method acting. Emma Stone is likely winking and smiling as much as she's, you know, diving into this nerdy little role. And but what helps is the thing that pushes her the thing that pushes the whole movie into going to the levels it's going to go to kind of beat the greater evil is Emma Thompson. So my props go to Emma Thompson the most. The movie is I know I've had a couple of peers of mine, you know, fancy pants film critics kind of say, who's this movie for anybody who just wants a stylish good time? I'm not saying this has to hit checkboxes of, oh, is this a good social justice movie? Oh, is this a good positive women role? Oh, is this movie good for kids? I don't care. Give me something good and interesting. And I got good and interesting. And Emma Stone does just fine to get here. There's enough style with the, with the visuals on screen. You have a great soundtrack. And yeah, this did enough for me. I'm even going to end my five minutes, 30 seconds early because I'm feeling great. Movie did good for me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I think. One thing that we talked about in our Joker podcast was expectations. Mm. Um, that evil word I always tell you not it, to have, right, how, right, right. Yeah, it, it, I think that it works both ways, though, because um, 
with Joker, I think we talked about how I watched the trailer too much and had too much expectations and uh, that might have ruined the experience for me. Um, the good thing about Cruella was I think that I was cynical enough to not only not watch the trailers out of lack of interest, but I kind of saw this movie on a whim. I just there, I wanted to go to the theater. There wasn't really a lot playing. I had my kids. I said, okay, that might be okay. And I said, let's go to Cruella. And I really walked in there thinking nothing of this production. Um, if anything, like you said, Joker Jr., I kind of expected it to play out more like the live action Disney remakes than the um, alternative tales uh, that have come out. Um, so here's a couple of things I found interesting. So I am not a fan of the live action remakes of the animated films. I find them, I find them um, a little bland, um, even though they're splashing with color. They feel very great to me. Like I kind of, they kind of, like with Lion King, it's a little too realistic. With Beauty and the Beast, it's very gray and dark. Uh, Aladdin just kind of feels CGI. Um, and so I'm not a fan of those. So I think I let that influence my skepticism on this project. Now, what I do want to remember is that um, I'm a big, a big fan, fanboy of Maleficent. Um, I think Angelina Jolie's Maleficent uh, is an excellent film. Um, it was directed by a production designer, so I think it looks magnificent. But it also did a lot of great things um, that I think maybe people are expecting of Cruella in terms of social commentary. Um, there was a lot of stuff in uh, Maleficent about um, power dynamics. There was a lot of uh, rape analogies in it. Um, a lot of powerful stuff that you could still show kids. One thing that I'm still shocked by is that Maleficent is rated PG, which is shocking to me um, because it's very visceral. It's got dragons. It's got scary witches. You know, it's got heavy stuff, you know. Um, but so Corella being PG-13 might have been the one thing that made me go, okay, all right, maybe they're going to push an envelope here. Um, they do to a degree. Um, I've been reading a lot of stuff online from articles that a lot of people are expecting the origin story, kind of like an X-Men origins of Cruella. But this is more of a, like Maleficent, more of a reboot of the character, um, giving you a different perspective um, of, you know, what the uh, characters are about. So I think that PG-13 rating is kind of what tipped me off that maybe they're going to do something different here. Um, and I have to say that there were a number of things uh, in the feel of this movie that made me think that this is this isn't just a cash grab. This isn't just a um, you know uh, cheap character study that they can sell more merchandise. I'm sure they'll sell merchandise, but they always do. But um, this felt like an authentic emotional project. Um, one of the things that tipped me off to this was their selection of music. Um, the soundtrack to this is, this isn't just a, you know, it isn't the lazy, like, you know, whenever you see a Vietnam picture and you get uh, CCR playing, mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, okay, we've heard that a hundred times. This is actually a very deep curated musical showcase of the time period. Um, they pick some really good stuff and stuff that I was not expecting to hear at a Disney film I mean, they played Queen's Stone Cold Crazy, which is my favorite Queen song. It's one of their most metal songs. They also played some Black Sabbath in this, which gave me 
so much respect for the production. I was just like, they're playing Black Sabbath in a Disney movie. This is fantastic. Um, so the the music is excellent. Um, a lot of people that maybe follow me on Letterboxd or kind of know me lately, I've been very, I'm kind of been in low budget hell for the last couple months. Uh, I've been kind of appreciating more practical stuff, which is weird for me because I'm the Marvel guy who, you know, those movies cost $300 million. But I've been watching a lot of low budget fare. So I was also a little skeptical of a $200 million budget for this, but it's all there on the screen. Like it's worth the, it's worth the price because the costumes are excellent. The music licensing must have cost a trillion dollars. Um, but it's a good film. And and while it doesn't tackle the, um, maybe the social commentary that Maleficent did, I think it does a good job of showing a strong female character um, progressing uh, through a world that is often uh, going against her. There's no easy path for the Yeah, I'm with you there. No, um, I got to I gotta extend where you're at with the music. Uh, I'll give props to a uh, music supervisor it, who kind of curated this playlist is Susan Jacobs. She just got done doing the really good soundtrack of Promising Young Woman. And uh, this is a nice selection of inspired tracks. I think a couple of them, I have to admit, kind of like, kind of bludgeon the cue of like singling an over obvious statement or happening in the movie where some feel a little, some feel a little blunt. They're cool inspired choices. You maybe haven't seen before, but they're like, okay, now you're hitting the nail a little, a little too much on the head mm-hmm. or, or sure. like, or I, there's, I mean, maybe I've seen too many movies, but I've, there's a few that are not CCR super duper overplayed, but a retread or two, for example, when you play, I think like sympathy for the devil in a movie like devil's advocate, but then you play it in the end of this movie. You're <laughs> like, well, hold on here. You're not Al Pacino raping bitches and, and turning into the devil. It's just Emma Stone <laughs> being cool, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Good try. Maybe, you know, right cue. I don't know if you really went there all the way in that kind of movie. So, but no, for the most part, that's, a, that's a really good soundtrack. Something I was minorly disappointed with music wise is uh, I love the I love the composer normally is uh, Nicholas Bertel. He does uh, a lot of Barry Jenkins's mm-hmm. work. He did Moonlight. He did If Beale Street Could Talk with, and he's got a very jazz background where he puts that you know that muted trumpet in kind of you know really makes soulful good music. I don't know if he's the right kind of guy for this vibe where the score felt more washed out by the soundtrack. And I'm very glad for that because I think his jazzy clashes with kind of the rest of the vibe. So. Not bad. Yeah, the, the, saved by the soundtrack for sure. In in that kind of tone. Yeah. Well, yeah. The fact that they throw out so much stuff. I mean, you're going to get a dud here and there mm-hmm. with something obvious, but they they have so much yeah. music. I it's mean, solid. it's like two hundred million dollar picture. I'm wondering how many millions they spent on. Oh yeah, because uh, there's because I know they spent millions on the costume. There's easily compared to most soundtracks that make it onto vinyl or CD. Like there's easily thirty five tracks of music in this movie, let alone the twelve that'll probably make the soundtrack. Yeah. This is like a, um, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, which took, I think, popular songs, but maybe more underground popular songs yeah, of that era, definitely. because they, could, they couldn't take that risk. Mm-hmm. This is basically saying, this is the greatest hits, but this is a well-curated one. Yeah. You know, uh, so I like that about the, the music. But the style, too, of the mm-hmm. film, we talked about Craig Gillespie. Off, off the podcast, we were talking about his filmography, which is very varied. It's all oh, over yeah. the place. Um, not in a bad way. Mm. It's just it's just, he di- he dips into genres like 
uh, you know, Lars and the Real Girl, the Fright Night remake. Um, you said Mr. Woodcock. But he also did I, Tanya. Mr. Woodcock at the same year he did Lars and the Real wow. Girl, which is very strange. Yeah. Um, but um, this, the, the style of I, Tanya feels like it's carried over into this film in terms of the confidence of the direction. Yeah. Um, I, Tanya was kind of a revelation because it just, it felt so sure of itself mm-hmm. for this type of story it was telling. And I feel Cruella has the same confidence. I agree. Um, yeah. No, I agree. I think I, Tanya, that's my, that's my take. I, 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 Tanya, obviously to me is a far harder, more difficult story to tell than this one, because you're talking about real person oh, yeah. sure. and, you know, super duper public villain, but you, you know, you create this story that not so much garners sympathy, but garners background, garners context to where the dark parts of her, you know, sorted uh, you know career and chapters go this movie gives a lot of latitude to take that kind of angle and make your own sordidness now you're not going to do it to an r-rated level of itanya but yeah this 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 is not basic in terms of oh this is going to be so simple we just have this weird little girl who gets you know mad at puppies and she wants to chase them chase them chase them this was not a simplistic narrative and i was really pleased about that and i think that's where the props can kind of go to uh, i'm trying to remember the screenwriters on this i think it's like the people who did the favorite where it's like oh yeah here we go so the two screenwriters who put this together were tony mcnamara who did the favorite so which is a ballsy crazy movie of you know super duper oh, yeah. you know sure. darkness and, and sharp com- sharp dark comedy and all that and then you wash it down with like the dana fox who did like the wedding date and some simple easy stuff and then there's story pieces that are listen to this mix that's the screenplay. The story, you know, story conceived by our story credits come from uh, Aline Brosh McKenna, who did The Devil Wears Prada and We Bought a Zoo. So you got a little acid, a little cute. Then you make sense. Right, Makes right. Sense. Especially <laughs> The Devil Wears Prada stuff. And then you have Kelly Marcel, who, uh, who did Fifty Shades of Grey and Venom. And then you have a, like a TV yeah. actor like Steve yeah. Zissis, who does like togetherness. So like quirky, you know quirky bits of people intersecting, which feels like where you get the supporting characters into play. So a weird little writer's room here, which I had to be a blast in rehearsals. So. Yeah. And I think that they handled the tone pretty well. That's where the confidence of the direction direction comes in. Cause I never felt, I never felt like I was being flip flopped mm-hmm. between, I would say my, um, and we might get into some spoiler territory here, but I think the only, I do think her transition to, um, being Cruella in terms of like playing that character, mm-hmm. uh, like it 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 jumps a little bit too fast I, for me. Even though the movie's two hours and fifteen minutes long, yeah. Um, like she kind of is like a great person to all of her friends, and then like like kind of like uh, once she puts the costume on, she's kind of like, "Well, I'm Cruella, darling," and mm-hmm. she's kind of mean to her friends, and like you know, it's it, it seemed like too much of a turn very quickly. Yeah. But that's I mean, it's a minor thing. It is. Um, I will say, uh, like I was saying in my five minutes, um, I'm kind of digging back into a lot of practical effects films, a lot of lower budget films. Mm -hmm. Um, The first 15 minutes of this film did worry me a little bit because it was very CGI heavy. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's Um, a real dog in this movie. Yeah. And the the whole castle thing at the beginning where you get the Mm -hmm. the, kind of the the impetus of the story of what made Cruella become an orphan, basically. Mm Um, very too much CGI. I agree. Uh, it just looked too, and I was nervous that the whole film was going to be that, but luckily they transitioned to 
a lot of strong production design. Mm-hmm. Looks like they redressed a lot of London streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, the costumes are all real legitimate. Um, the set decoration is phenomenal. Um, location scouting is good. They're, you can tell they actually filmed a lot of stuff outside, yeah. <laughs> not on a green screen. Definitely. So that saves it. Um, I, I will say that one moment that is supposed to be the only time I felt let down by the tone of the film. Okay. Um, and tell me if you had the same reaction. And like I said, we're going to get into spoiler territory here. But um, so who you think is Malef- or Maleficent, Cruella's mom, um, <laughs> gets pushed off a cliff by a bunch of Dalmatians. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually burst out laughing when that happened. My theater, Because I too. couldn't believe it happened. Yeah, my theater was, <laughs> it was a combination of laugh and gasp, and it was hilarious. That's a room I full of critics, too. They, yeah, I couldn't believe they actually did that. Me too. And because of the heavy CGI, the... Um, it's dark, it's foggy, it's masked it, enough where I think that I think your PG-13 rating solely comes from that moment because the rest of the movie isn't right. that hard. And so, yeah, that's what I'm saying is I think that the mixture of the heavy CGI and that moment, mm-hmm. which I don't think really works, it's just kind of silly. It's very silly. I was like, I was like, you know what? We're in for a bad time here, but it really makes up for yeah. it. So yeah. the first 15, so I, I'm basically anybody who's watching this, I mean, if you've if you're listening and you haven't seen it, I've spoiled a lot of it for you. But if you're hesitant, mm-hmm. the first 15 minutes might be a little rough. Yeah. But let it let it sit with you, um, and then it will it will make up for yeah. any of those those issues um, right away. Now, and, um, how do you, in the yeah. same way? How do you feel about? I don't want to go all spoilers, but how do you feel about the end? Do you feel like that's a little because Mark Strong, professional movie villain Mark Strong, who's given far too Love little Mark to Strong. given far too little to do in this movie, other than the last the last fifteen minutes compared to the first fifteen minutes, it kind of right. you know gives the over exposition explanation that we've all been maybe suspicious and waiting for all movie, and it feels I don't say I want to say it feels like weak sauce, but it's a little prolonged and stretched out thanks to one more party and yes. one more thing, like one knock I've heard about this movie that I, yes. that I agree with other critics and people is I do think the movie is 15, 20 minutes too long. I think you could take that 15 minute beginning that kind of loses us a little bit, trim that a little bit where maybe we don't have a silly little dance floor or fashion show chase routine. We can just kind of cut to the chase of the, the two women coming together. And even the ending, do we need seven different establishing shots of a person who comes dressed as Corella? We can see the whole room open up and that would be enough. You know, it's and I'm even you, and there's I'm one glad you felt that way. And yeah, and, and even in the middle, maybe there's one or two, one or two too many little heist hijinks and little schemes. And credit to Paul Walter Hauser and Joel Fry for being a good horse and Jasper and not just being what the cartoon made him to be, which is just silly henchmen. Like they're given some angles of something to do in some true friendship places for Cruella and played by two really fun actors so that helps a ton but no i feel like the movie overindulges in some spots where it could trim here trim there and and not be over two hours i'm glad you felt that way too because i was doing the same thing um there was a moment i mean i gotta i mean i gotta put out a spoiler warning Mm because i mean i think at this point to discuss the ending you got to discuss yeah but you are right we'll we'll tag the episode we'll put the stamp in the episode on the description we'll be good to go yeah 
like there's too many climaxes mm-hmm. because there is kind of like a final party that you think is the final party and then there's another one yeah um and then also um even though it is well acted and it is well deserved for the character there is an extended monologue towards the mm-hmm. end that was testing my patience yeah. a little bit because yeah. i was just like okay we just had a big party i know we just had come up yeah. and we just had take over this take over that and we still get the monologue yeah so that was a little rough um yeah there, there, now the one thing i will say and this comes into the spoilers uh, sort of is the great thing about the dog death in the beginning <laughs> um even though it's silly and the great thing about emma thompson's character is that she kills people yes like disney films Family films, Disney films, PG films, even some G films, they used to have the balls to have death Mm -hmm. and to have characters that kill people that made them villains. Um, I think Disney has gotten to a point with their Disney branded stuff because they obviously have their own studios for adult centered stuff and they have Marvel and stuff. Sure. I, I think that they got to the point where like killing had to be incidental. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be evil, but not too evil. Like to me, the beauty and the beast remake is a perfect example. Yeah. Like in the, in the, in the animated film, like Gaston is like shooting the fucking beast in the back oh, yeah. with bullets. Oh yeah. And like, you know, he throws him off a cliff if I remember, but in the remake, he like goes, Oh, I missed my footing. And he falls off a bit. You know what I mean? Uh, like they couldn't... Yeah. That's similar to the cartoon, but it's still yeah. softened for sure. Yeah, it's very softened. So the fact that at one point Emma Thompson literally like they approach her and say, You kill these people, and she's like, So? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like, Okay, this actually gives the stakes a little bit more. Like, do I know that Emma Stone is gonna come out on top of course, because the movie's yeah. called Cruella? Yes. Yeah. But it it gives it gives it a little bit more umph. Mm-hmm. Um it earns that PG thirteen a little bit. It does. Um so I was impressed with that because there are moments in this film that are not exactly comfortable. Um, but it just reminds me when I was a kid, uh, have you seen that meme of um, there's like this giant werewolf <laughs> and it says PG movies when I was a kid. Oh yeah. And then next to the werewolf is yeah. like a little Labrador retriever that's going like, hi. Right. And it's like PG movies now. Like, right, 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 that's, right. That's the piece. I mean, oh, no, like stuff, we were like, you know, like when we were kids, ch- we're both child of the ch- children of the eighties and nineties where in our toy right. aisles in Walmart, there was Robocop, Rambo and Terminator, which are some of the hardest R right. violence movies you can get, you know? So yeah, things have gotten, I don't want to call it the pussification of things, but yes, things are softer for reasons. And I, I as a, yeah, now as a parent, as a teacher, I'm mindful of that and I'm cool with it. But yeah, like, right. it, so I think the movie, I wasn't expecting the movie to go, to go really hard. I think it went hard enough and it right. definitely did it with gusto and style to really help that come along. And they did pull one major punch but I was okay with it because it actually lets you sit with thinking it didn't for a while. Which punch? Which are you is about? the fact that she, uh, the fact that she had a Dalmatian jacket. Ah, yes. Um, yes, they pull that punch in the end, and mm-hmm. they say that she didn't kill the dogs, and that's fine. Yeah. I was okay with it because the movie still had the balls for about fifteen minutes for you to think. Yes, she killed those fucking dogs, yeah. and I was like, "That's okay. Uh-huh. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm not happy that they pulled the punch, you know, but." Mm-hmm. It softens it by the fact that they actually, you know, they weren't like, um, 
here here it is you know she she mm-hmm. killed the dogs wink wink she didn't right you know like they or they didn't prolong you know, it to like a skinning scene and like her stitching <laughs> these pelts together like it wasn't the revenant of dog coat creation we we, we got through it <laughs> yeah so i yeah. was i was i was okay with that okay. so i think in the end we can summer we can summarize it that i think that Unlike maybe Joker, if my experience, I think the fact that I had no expectations going into mm-hmm. it, the fact that maybe there is some subconscious expectations about where this project was going to sure. go based on recent Disney films. Or even just remembering the helped. cartoon of like, I'm expecting this villain to eventually turn into this. Right. Yeah. The fact that it subverts that enough in a lot of different ways, I think helps um make this a really good film I'm with you um i would like to re rewatch it eventually mm-hmm. to see if I, I would like to see if it holds up without any of the ballyhoo around it yeah and i've seen like it, i've seen it twice and i feel the length a little more but the the themes and fun okay. is, the themes and fun are fine but i'm like ooh, wait we're yeah like when i think when the movie starts to hit some of those early peaks and then I'm like, oh, wait, we got another 40 minutes. Oh, wait, we got another 20 minutes. I, yeah. I felt that more. I felt that more, for sure. But no, Absolutely. this is good. Absolutely. Um, so before we, yes. before we close this, yeah. I hear we're doing some recommendations today. Yes, I would love to know. Um, you know, we, we got some really great feedback from our uh, uh, podcast folks that we recommended i believe in what was it the joker episode yeah i believe so i can't remember if we did that joker episode Mm -hmm. um so we got some good interactions some good play um which is the goal we want people to experience other things but we also want you know some some attention brought back on us there's no shame in that where you know um so we got a lot of good play so i thought we could do it again where we could just maybe recommend one podcast each Um, i'll I'll hit up first here for a second my recommendation this week is the kicking the seat podcast hosted by ian simmons that's the guy who i do uh the weekly kind of marvel recap shows with uh on youtube if for folks who follow my work but ian does uh, we had our little Mm -hmm. um we had a recap for wandavision we had a mission report for what captain uh, falcon and winter soldier and for loki coming up next wednesday but it'll probably be three days ago Mm -hmm. by the time this episode comes out we're doing the midweek mischief show where every night every wednesday night live at nine we'll talk about Mm -hmm. loki and i really dig ian's show he uh brings a conversational kind of unedited way about doing things like we're not nothing super cut it feels like a barroom conversation only between guys probably in their basements on microphones but uh we really get together and have a a good dais and a good group and uh ian brings a lot of real good just hubris to the to the occasion i I enjoy our chats so kicking the seat podcast kick the uh kickseat.com kicking the seat kicking the seat and i will be once this episode airs i will make sure to plug these shows through their twitter handles and facebooks and all that fun stuff so you can find them uh mine is this is a podcast now this this podcast was really responsible for getting me into the film scene here in phoenix um i was always a film lover but i kind of did it on my own um but i stumbled upon i stumbled upon a couple of friends through mutual events that i went to um and they invited me on this podcast uh, to talk about a number of issues i've been on three episodes um and that's not a lot because they literally have over 500 episodes at this point. They they are very prolific. It's called the BS Movies Podcast. BS standing for Brian and Shelley. Cool. Um, 
Uh, Brian and Shelley are local here in Phoenix. Um, they're fantastic uh, curators of film. Um, they do a lot of um, live screenings of shows. They do like a lot of live podcasts. Um, but they also do a lot of themed stuff. And they have over 500 episodes. Um, and uh, it's a great show. Um, I mean, there's you can find so much stuff to talk about on there. And they go all over the place. Um, they are horror people. Um, first and foremost. Um, but they are so knowledgeable about everything with film. I mean, they've forgotten more stuff than I know. Um, so if you want to give BS movies podcast a shot, they are on all the major services. Um, and if you want to find the episodes with me, <laughs> uh, when, uh, I'm sure, um, Don remembers this, but uh, there was some ballyhoo <laughs> a couple years ago about uh, Martin Scorsese and what real cinema is. Mm. Um, and uh, BS was the first ones to ask me. They said, okay, we're going to do an episode on if Marvel is true cinema. Do you want to do it? And I said, yes. And um, and they probably regret it to this day because it was like a 20-hour episode of me just waxing philosophical about the MCU. But uh, there is an episode on that. Uh, I also did a Chadwick Boseman episode with them uh, when he died. Um, we did kind of a Chadwick Boseman retrospective on his career, which, of course, features MCU stuff. So I was kind of the expert on that area. Um, and then uh, I was actually lucky enough to do one of their live shows on the road. Uh, we did a Ferris Bueller's Day Off live screening. Oh, nice. And I was a guest host on that. So As a Chicago, really as a sh- so as a Chicago and I approve. my re- Yes, that was uh, that was very fun. We had a lot of trivia about Chicago oh. uh, in that uh, for our trivia contest. Children, that please. So, it's worth checking out, but all their episodes are worth checking. I mean, so. cool. All right, let's close this out, Will. Absolutely. So, um, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fits and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. You can also find both me and Don on Letterboxd. Um, Don has a lot more lists than I do, but I'm working on it. I've actually got my top 100 I'm working on now. I've narrowed it down to 219 films, so working on it. Um, I don't believe we need to post a poll no. for this episode because we both loved it. That's so right. it's it just I guess it just comes down to who they like more, you or me, and we all know that I'm going to lose that one. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. We love interacting with you guys on social media. It's very fun. Um, Cinephile His Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have way more where that came from with interesting hosts. And eventually, uh, we've been talking about this, we're starting to narrow the timeline down. Um, I think we're starting to establish ourselves enough. We're going to have guests soon um, in the future. So we're going to have some wonderful guests. Um, Everything of our shows available on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Thank you, Will. Take care, man. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. The year is 2043. You're playing fantasy football. It is championship week. You're trying to set your lineup and you don't know what to do. 
Robert Griffin IV and his top target, Will Fuller VI, have carried you all season, but they're facing a London Jaguars team that has the top defense in the league. Your other quarterback is a 66-year-old Tom Brady who's playing against the much more manageable Toronto Bengals. So you turn to Nick and Elijah of the 25 Yards Later podcast, a production of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. Be a champion. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.